Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy. I'm here today with Amy Ostan of Amy Ever After. Hi. Hello. And Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hello. Hello. Um, today on the show, <laughs> just because we can't get enough of this conversation, <laughs> we are talking about kids and anxiety and stress um, and parents and their anxiety and their stress, but how it's been amplified during the pandemic and how to help you with your own anxiety and stress and also help you help your kids through their anxiety and stress. We have a guest on today. Her name is Dr. Abby Gewertz. She is a psychologist and a leading expert on families under stress. She's also a professor of family science and child development at the University of Minnesota. We are really, really excited to have her on. She has a book coming out called When the World Feels Like a Scary Place, Essential Conversations for Anxious Parents and Worried Kids, which, believe it or not, she was already writing before <laughs> all this happened. So She's psychic. She really, boy, but this is a book I think a lot of people um, will be turning to right now or need right now because even if you have a kid who was maybe never even that anxious in the past, they are now. Um, so we will be right back with Dr. Abby and this conversation about anxiety, stress, and coronavirus. We are back with Dr. Abby Gewertz, a child psychologist and leading expert on families under stress. She is a professor of family science and child development at the University of Minnesota. Dr. Abby, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. We, um, you know, it's funny, we get a lot of, um, emails from from different people with books coming out and things like that. And your book, When the World Feels Like a Scary Place, which is coming out in a couple weeks, just right away, um, we said, yes, she has to be on the show. Like there was no discussion. <laughs> it was like, yes. Sadly. Um, it was really, and you know, it's funny because it's not even just because of the pandemic and this has amplified everything, I, I think, but we, we've already been in a space where we've realized that kids have become more anxious and so have parents. Um, so what are you seeing now? Like, what did you see pre-pandemic, you know, in, in like, let's say around February, and how has that changed in the last couple months? Well, that's a great question. And I think what you're saying is what everyone is feeling. And it's also backed up by the data. So I decided to write the book in 2016, when I felt, um, when, when referrals to my practice were increasing, and I felt like the world was just a scary, worried place. And goodness knows what's, you know, how, how much more so is that is the case now. Um, well, we just need to look around, even pre-pandemic, to see uh, issues around climate change and the very widely publicized uh, incidents of school violence and divisiveness and the divisions, not just in opinions uh, and, and rhetoric and, and hate speech, but also in between the haves and the have-nots. And so the world has been a very divided place more recently with existential worries about climate change and all kinds of other things. And in the data, what we have seen is that anxiety, depression and stress have increased markedly over the last 10 years, not just in the United States, but in Europe, for example, in England also. And is that because we're just more aware of everything. Like, I don't think, um, 
the world has become a more dangerous place, right? I mean, there's a million studies that show, I mean, I grew up in New York in the 70s and 80s. It's a markedly safer city now. Is it because we're just more aware of everything and there's such a constant, you know, ongoing onslaught, not just social media, but the 24-hour news cycle? I mean, what is it? Exactly. That's exactly right. The world is a hyper-interconnected place and it's harder and harder to keep our kids insulated from it. Um, Even very young children, you know, you walk around the supermarket and you see parents with young children holding on to iPhones and iPads and they do a wonderful babysitting job. But there are downsides as well. And one of the downsides is that even very young children, you know, you put a kindergartner on the school bus and they're going to hear a lot of stuff. And believe me, there are going to be other kindergartners or if they're not kindergartners, there are seven and eight year olds with phones. I mean, we know that the average age to get your own phone is now nine or 10 years old. So kids, it's very, very hard to keep the world away from kids. Whereas in our own generation or in generations before, for sure, you know, Uh, you never had cell phones. And if you had a phone, it was in the hallway and everyone could hear what was going on. And the news was on once a day at night, your parents could switch off the television. And that's really hard to do now. And as you mentioned, that's not even talking about social media and the incredible amplification of all the kinds of fears, whether they're, you know, fears about real things or not, that can can be magnified there. So, what can parents do to help their children feel sort of more secure and less anxious about all these things out of their control? Well, so the good news is that parents can do a lot of things. It's just that the targets in a way have changed. And so um, I think what we need to do, you know, as a, as a parenting generation is maybe take a step back and uh, think about how parenting now is a little bit different. You know, the the goalposts have changed um, because of what we were just talking about, because of um, the nature of the threats and because of the magnification and the incessant um, bombardment um, of news from the outside world. The first thing that parents need to do is to get a handle on their own feelings. So I don't know about you, but The pandemic and all the other stuff that came before it affects me. Um, The more we listen to the news and the more we're affected by what happens um, in the world outside our home, the harder it can be to filter that out as an adult. And some adults, I mean, all of us have sensitivities to particular things. So if we take the pandemic, for example, anybody who is living with or has an older relative, has an underlying health condition, has specific anxiety around getting sick, is going to be more touched and more stressed by the coronavirus outbreak. And so the first thing to do as a parent is to try and somehow get a handle on your own stress. And that means to a certain degree, turning inwards and just taking a pulse of what's happening to you. It's always wise to be aware of how you're feeling and how outside things are affecting you, whether it's paying attention to the fact that you have a stomach ache or a stress headache or your palms are sweaty or your heart's racing. But it's particularly important when you are going to have a conversation or be with your children, because if you're stuck inside your own worries, it's very hard to sit down and listen to and have a conversation with your children, because anything you do with anyone else is going to be colored by um, what's going on in your own head. So that's really the first step. 
you know, can I ask you a little bit about that? So, um, you know, sometimes one of the things I hear the most from moms, and, and I feel this too, is that it can be exhausting to be the one who is kind of holding it all together and trying to put on like the more optimistic face, the braver face. I mean, there's parents who are anxious and that's going on to their kids, but there's also the opposite where you have to feel like you're going to constantly reassure them that things are okay or Mm -hmm. you're, you know, and that it seems like moms in particular sort of carry this sort of emotional weight of everyone else's anxiety. How do you deal with that? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think I want to be clear that I'm not saying you have to reassure. Right now, I'm only talking about the way you deal with your own concerns, but you're right. Um, A lot of parents, so my interest in this subject, um, I've had a longstanding interest in the, the effect of trauma and stress on families, but for the last 10 years, I have really been privileged and honored to work with our nation's military families. And I can't tell you how many hundreds of parents I've sat with um, right before a, a one of the parents, and often it's the, it's the dad, is about to be deployed to war. And the moms will say, we've done this before, and we know that there are times, for example, when we see casualties on television, when we see an attack on a convoy in Afghanistan or Iraq, that we just lose it. And what do we do for our children? On the one hand, we can just leave. We can try and pretend that nothing's happened. We can, um, um, you know, just sort of put on a brave face. On the other hand, shouldn't we be honest with our children? Isn't it sometimes healthy for them to see us crying? And the reality is it's not one or the other. And what we're not, what I'm not saying is you have to pretend because I think kids are really good (laughs) at seeing through us. Um, I'm not saying pretend and I'm not saying reassure and I'm not saying um, show everything to your kids. I'm saying get a handle on what you're experiencing yourself. And this is Andrea and I'm going to jump in and ask a question because what you're saying, you know, being authentic, I think, is is scary to a lot of adults. You know, as you say, it is okay for your kids to see you cry and for your kids to see you um, showing emotion. At the same time, you want to be reassuring. But my gosh, the world, to me, really does feel like a scarier place now. I mean, between global warming and pandemic and parents going off to war and social media where, you know, sometimes kids are the target of bullying or um you know, feeling left out. I just feel like for a, a, a teenager, especially, I mean, I can't imagine all that anxiety on top of the regular anxiety of being an adolescent in school and dealing with all those things. That's right. I mean, and that's why it's more important than ever for us parents to be very thoughtful and intentional about the interactions and the conversations we have with our teens and with kids of all ages. So authenticity, I mean, I think this is a very tricky thing, and I talk about it a lot in the book. Um, But authenticity is, to me, is intentionality. So for example, um, when I just got bad news or I just switched on CNN and I'm so mad at what I saw and then my kid says something to me and I turn around and I go that is that to me I mean 
some people might think it authentic, but to me, that's not intentional. I What I want to do is get to a place where I hear that stuff on CNN, okay, we can't avoid it, or or whatever news program you watch. And I say, wow, that's really upsetting. And I walk outside for a few minutes, and I take in the beautiful flowers and the lovely air, or the blue sky, I take a few deep breaths, and I walk back in, and then I am able to make intentional decisions about how I act with my children. And so uh, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's tough to do. So many of our interactions are spur of the moment, but it's really important to not add to the anxiety in the home. You know, one of the things I've been hearing a lot, um, particularly here from parents in New York, is that their littler kids, you know, maybe two, three, they're very scared because everyone's wearing a mask. Right. And they're now having to wear a mask. How do you handle that? Like, how do you handle those very basic fears of the world looks very different, um, just on a very simple level? Right. Right. So... Again, Rebecca, that's a great question. And it reminds me of something from a totally different time in a totally different place. But I think it illustrates the point. I used to do a lot of work with police officers. And one of the things we used to do is help police officers understand children because they are often put in very difficult positions where they go into homes where unspeakable things have happened. And you have two and three year olds there. And when a police officer walks into a home, and there's a three year old standing there, what is the first thing that three-year-old sees? Well, a three-year-old is about waist height to a police officer. And so the first thing that three-year-old sees is the police officer's utility belt with the gun. So again, like thinking about being intentional, one of the first things we taught police officers was get down on one knee. That way you can talk to the child face to face and the thing that they don't immediately see is your gun. So when it comes to what relevance does that have to masks? We're all creatures of habit. We all want to know that what we did yesterday is pretty similar to what we're doing today and what we're doing tomorrow. And one of the scariest things about life today is that it is unpredictable and uncontrollable. Scary for adults and scary for kids. One of the best things we can do for our kids is make it as predictable as possible. So what parents can do, for example, with masks is sit down and have a conversation with your two and three year old in their at their level, in their language. And the first thing to do is listen to them. Right. So hear what their questions are, because they may be different from the questions you think they will have. So, um, for example, they may uh, they may think that a mask covers I don't know, a bloody nose or a scary mouth or something like that. It may be so different from what you think they're thinking. Hear that and then respond in language that you know they will understand. For example, a lot of kids in in preschool learn about germs, right? We wash our hands and every kid knows they need to wash their hands because there's germs. Um, or bacteria. I don't know what they call it. I'm I'm English, so <laughs> my, my my sister-in-law was telling me about her son, and he she said well, we talked about the virus in terms of germs because that's what they learn in school, um, in preschool. And so you can say something like, um, the there's a there's a sickness that's different from most other sicknesses, 
Um, and one of the ways it spread easily is when we sneeze, a chew, or we cough. <clears throat> and you know how when we sneeze or when we cough, we put a tissue in front of our nose. And so a mask, it's like a tissue. Uh, it's like a Kleenex. And that's why we wear masks when we go outside, because we don't want other people to get our germs. And it's just this illness, and you have to be really clear, because I think one of the problems about using very general language is that kids maybe generalize, and then they apply it to everything. It's just this right. illness, and this illness is going to go away. Um, but right now, we have to wear these masks to protect other people from our sneezes and our coughs. I think that's been the most difficult thing in my household, and I'm dealing with older kids, but it's the this is going to go away part because I, I, I don't know what to tell them about that because, you know, it probably will, but we don't have any hard evidence that we will have a vaccine or, you know, when that will happen, when they'll be able to, to be around their friends without masks. So I don't want to lie to them because, you know, they're too old to believe me anyway. Um, what's the best way to phrase that to be honest, but also to not leave them terrified and thinking that their childhood is going to be ruined, you know, and it's, they're going to be 25 before things are normal. So Amy, you're talking about teens. And I think it's really important to keep punctuating that the way we talk to very young children is different from the way we talk to elementary age kids, which is different again from the way we talk to teens. So if we think about teens, you're absolutely right. They know a lot of stuff. <laughs> they often know more stuff than we know about certain things. And um, so you have to be careful. You can't pull any wool over any eyes. And um, and we have some existential questions. I mean, the reality is we don't know what the end game is here. And that's very scary for us adults. Um, but also, I think it is fair to say this will end. We don't know how it will end. We don't know when it'll end. <laughs> um, but it will end. At some point, will it be replaced by something even worse? I mean, I think that's many of our fears, right? Um, but but the reality is that we know that this will end. Um, it'll end because we have herd immunity, or it'll end because, I don't know, we get a vaccine, um, or it'll end because we have a good treatment. Um, it will end, but I think with teens, they're capable of having these kinds of much more abstract discussions and they may want to have them but the interesting and important thing for parents to know about teens is that what they do is sometimes very different and much more childlike than what they can think about hmm. and the easiest example for me to give and it's a difficult one but it's a very well-known one is drinking and driving teenagers know that drinking causes impaired driving they also know, because they learn this when they have to take their driver's tests, that the highest rate of drunk driving incidents comes in the teen and young adult years. They know all that. So why do we still have high rates of drunk driving among teens? Because there's this disconnect, because their brains aren't fully developed, because adolescence is the second most rapid period of brain development after early childhood, they don't yet have the capacity to engage in full executive functioning, which means they still create these myths for themselves. And one is what we call the invincibility fable. And it's exactly what you would think. 
I know that drinking leads to impaired driving and I could get into an accident, but it won't happen to me. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem, I think, for teens with the virus. And it's why, and I'm not saying that teens are being irresponsible, but I'm just saying it's why you could have a situation where you have teens congregating and they're not wearing masks. Because though they know that if they don't wear masks, their likelihood of giving and getting COVID-19 are elevated. And though it is very likely that they won't get very sick, the risk, of course, is bringing it back to older adults with whom they live or see. They still think it won't happen to me. And that's the main problem that we have with teens. I think it's interesting, too, because... um they think that, and then there's also the opposite side where now this has made them realize a mortality of sorts that they, you know, maybe they had lost a grandparent because their age or something like that. But this seems to be so abnormal um, that I can see that if teens are already anxious, this sort of feeds into your catastrophizing, you know, tendencies anyway. Like, see, like I told you it could be, this horrible. Um, what do you do with a teen who's like on that side of it where they're not, they don't feel invincible. Now they feel like the world has just become exactly what they feared it would be. Right. That's exactly right. Exactly. And, and so much of my book is about those, you know, sort of worried, pa- anxious parents and worried kids. Um, so the first thing is that whether it's, and by the way, that applies to kids of all ages, right? Um, whether it's a worried teen or a worried elementary age kid, what can happen is that the world not only is a scary place, but as a result, you make the world a very narrow place. And so you have kids who are scared to go outside, scared to have any interactions, have nightmares, uh, younger children who want to end up, you know, end up back in their parents' beds at night. Um, very, you know, very, very clingy, um, those kinds of things. So the thing to remember about those kinds of kids is that anxiety isn't bred in kids in a vacuum. Often um, worried kids have worried parents. So um, think back to your own childhood and think about whether you were a particularly anxious child. Um, Often I'll I'll see children in my own practice and one of the first things I'll ask the parents is, um, is anyone in your family taking anti-anxiety or antidepressant medication? Um, because we know depression and anxiety run in families. So you can have a parent who um, doesn't see themselves as anxious, but might have um, taken antidepressant medication in their life and a parent and vice versa. Um, or a parent who just remembers themselves as a very worried child. So again, so that's not so much to do with the parent's behavior as with our genetic, you know, with our, with our uh, sort of genetic gifts, <laughs> um, but also how how the parent acts then is particularly important for very worried kids. And so what we know about anxiety in kids, and I'm talking about really severe anxiety that disrupts everyday life. So the child who won't want, doesn't want to go back to school is really happy that there's no school and the parent knows that they're going to have a really hard time getting that child back to school when the time comes. Um, So we know that what helps kids is sort of a cognitive behavioral therapy, sort of an individual therapy that's focused on helping children deal with their worried thoughts and feelings um, and, and, and sort of gradually helping them address or face the, the worries and the feared things. 
Um, but parents play a really large role in this. So specifically, what parents are going to need to do um, to convey to their worried children is that is the reality, which is that the world is not as scary as you think it is. And that's the thing about anxiety. It's a double-edged sword. So anxiety is important because it's a signal. It tells us there's a lion coming. And the reality is that some level of anxiety is very important in this pandemic and, and everywhere because it helps us be wary when we need to be wary. But if it gets too much, you know, uh, there is nothing to fear but fear itself is the famous quote. Um, it takes over us and it becomes us and it stops us from being engaged in the world and it stops us from, it stops our children from growing up and being independent, compassionate, engaged human beings. And we need our kids, we need all of us to be engaged in society and anxiety can really inhibit that. So more than anything else then, what parents need to do is to get a handle on their own worries so that they can really hear their kids' worries and help them, and I spend a lot of time talking about this in the book, help kids identify their emotions, where their emotions are in the body. You know, we want to say to kids, don't worry, there's nothing to worry about. Ah, you, you don't need to worry, I'll worry for you, things like that. But that gets away from helping kids to identify what the worry is, where it is in the body, and then connecting up the, the feelings with the thoughts that maybe aren't so helpful, like, I'm going to get sick, and then I'm going to make everyone around me sick, and then my mom's going to die, and my dad's going to die, and my grandparents are going to die. And those are examples of the catastrophizing that you talked about earlier. And those are the kinds of thoughts that are not helpful, take us over and render us kids of every age and adults sort of paralyzed. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> Sorry, it is a lot. I didn't no. mean to dump it. No, 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 it's great. It's great. It's just, it's so, um, you know, this has brought up so much for so many parents. I know even kids who um, I always thought were the most, you know, sort of laissez-faire, come what may, kid, you know, my friends with kids like that, that, that I've always been sort of in awe of have had serious meltdowns and, you know, anxiety attacks and things during this. It's, it's really brought so much to the forefront. And I think this is all a really helpful conversation for all of our parent listeners out there. I, I think a lot of people are grappling with this. Um, and as we reopen, I think people are grappling with this because, we've been telling the kids or the kids have learned how scary this is. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, go to a restaurant, you know? And I think just trying to reconcile all that in their heads is, is anxiety, you know, also. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was a really helpful conversation. Of course. I'm so happy to be on and take good care. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. We will be right back with our bites of the week. We are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, what do you have? I have, shockingly, something food-related. I don't know how many weeks in a row it's been. Um, but this is this is a really cool one. My friend Michelle Price, who blogs at honestandtruly.com, told me about this one. She is one of 31 bloggers who put together a book. It was... Um, it was spearheaded by Faith Gorski, who's a, another food blogger. Um, it's called Cook What You Have, Pantry Staple Recipes for Every Meal, and it's available on Kindle, and 
all of the profits go to charity. It all goes to the Global Food Banking Network to help people who've been affected by COVID-19. And I bought it. I haven't had time to make any of the recipes yet because I just bought it, I think, yesterday. But I, I looked through them all and the recipes look fantastic. These are not like random bloggers. Like these are people who do food blogging for a living. So the recipes are tested. The pictures are gorgeous. The book does not look thrown together like this is a professional. You're going to get your $10 worth and you're going to be donating to charity at the same time. So you can get it on Amazon and we will put a link, but it's um, Cook What You Have, Pantry Staple Recipes for Every Meal. Cool. That sounds good. I tell you, I've been cooking everything. Like I've had, I have cooked more these past eight weeks than I've cooked in the past four years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trying new things, different things. And you guys know how much I did not cook to be. <laughs> I mean, I cooked, but I didn't expect, I cooked every night. I just didn't experiment. Let's put it that way. I'm experimenting. Well, right. that's the thing. When you're just cooking so much, you you get bored and you just have to try new things. Yeah, you have yeah. to. It's it's interesting. I We order in once a week and um, I've lost my taste for restaurant food. Like it all tastes so salty to me. Hmm. And like, I can't, I don't sleep well the night we order in. Like it's really weird but that's a whole other thing all right Andrea that's a whole what do you other have? thing <laughs> yeah, I have a little gizmo so you know now that I am cleaning my house constantly uh with two cats <laughs> and I have my doors and windows open it is really hairy and dusty and yuck and I have a fabulous vacuum I love my Dyson and it's you know portable. So I, I use it, but there's some times where I just need to clean up the cat litter or I need to clean pet hair off the couch, or I just need to like scoop along the front door where the leaves have blown in. And Eufy, a company that's uh, owned by Anchor, which makes everybody's favorite little portable battery packs and, and uh, wonderful um, charging gadgets, Eufy has uh, a number of robotic vacuums, and they've just come out with the HomeVac H11. And if I tell you that it's about the size and weight of a wine bottle, what? <laughs> it is the easiest thing ever to carry around the house. And you don't have to, like, you know, the old dustbuster, you had to put that big, ugly plastic mount somewhere and mount it so you could put it in the mount and have it constantly charge. This is charged by a micro USB, so you can like charge it up and then take it out and stick it in a, a cabinet, like stick it under a bathroom sink or something because it's so small. But it's a great vacuum. It's wonderful for dust and hair, um, under furniture, inside kitchen drawers. It's got this two-in-one yeah, cool. crevice tool, so it can do... Um, you know, like it can, it can reach into places and it also has a little brush thing. So you can do the top of the couch. It runs about 13 minutes on a charge. Not fabulous, but good enough for a quick pickup. And the suction is not going to be anywhere near my, you know, big expensive Dyson. But again, it's enough for dust and hair. It's got a $10 coupon on Amazon right now. So it's $49 and I'm really using it a lot. Um, in the time that you took to say that, I just ordered one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We're just sell racking up the sales here. Well, that's how I'm coping with lockdown. I buy things. <laughs> shopping. Yep. So funny. I mean, 
honestly, and, and you don't have to mount it. You don't have to have it out all the time, right? He can stick it in the bathroom or stick it in a drawer and then right. take it out when you need it. And I mean, it's so convenient. It's just like, even if you just only use it for wood shavings or for me in the bathroom near the cat litter, I don't have to go to the laundry room and get the big vacuum and drag it out and then feel compelled to vacuum the whole house while I have it. Um, okay, well, my bite this week is tie-dye. Tie-dye is having a moment, a resurgence, maybe because everyone's really? home with kneading crafts. Yes, tie-dye is everywhere. Um, and tie-dye is messy and tie-dye is like very disappointing most of the time I have found in my experience that like things get tie-dyed and everything ends up sort of this green yellow <laughs> I don't know every time my girls have done it at camp this is an amazing tie-dye kit by Jacquard um, it's available on Blick Art Supplies and Blick has everything if you don't know about the Blick Art Supply site but it's only $18.75 so it's actually a really fun graduation gift too for like a fifth grader or an eighth grader um, it makes up to 15 adult size t-shirts. And what I love about it is the dyes, it's three, comes with three colors, red, yellow, and blue. Already the powders in each little bottle, you just add water and then one extra bottle. If you want to kind of DIY your own color, it comes with the gloves. It comes with the rubber bands. It comes with the fixer. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And then it has a really cool book that teaches you how to do like spirals, stripes, all these different patterns that you see when you see really cool tie dye, unlike your just like blotchy, weird, random circle one. <laughs> so I love it. I think it's a great, it comes in a cute little whole little cardboard kit. So it looks really nice as a gift, but it's a great starter kit for someone who's interested in tie dye and you know, that will fade. Um, That's so fun. It's really fun. And if you have, What's a, it called? I, say the name again, Jacquard tie dye kit. J-A-C-Q-U-A-R-D. Um, and it's, again, on Blick, on the Blick Art Supplies um, site. Blick has everything you could ever need. So I think there are a lot of people who are moving on. Now Now we can start doing stuff maybe outside in your backyard. or So your kids could still be home, <laughs> you know. But it gives, and I recommend doing tie-dye outside anyway. Like get a couple buckets, do it in the buckets. But um, it's great. It's like such a fun, easy kit. And it's a great activity. And, you know, what do you need to do? Buy some packs of Hanes white t-shirts, you know, um, or let them tie-dye things that were old. That's what my daughter did. She had a couple old um, t-shirts that she didn't really love anymore. And then when she tie-dyed them, she loved them again. Like, so there you go. They like That's redid. so fun. I have it's not really heard fun. of tie-dye in like, 30 years. <laughs> I didn't know that it had come back until one of my more fashionable friends said, I refuse to buy any tie-dye. And I was like, oh, are people buying tie-dye? And yeah, a, it turns out it's like huge now. It's huge. And there's people making a killing on Etsy and all these sites just tie-dyeing things. Like, literally, I think part of it is this whole horrible, you know, indoor <laughs> people are like going crazy and looking first it was needlepoint then we know whatever now it's um, tie dye but for kids quilling people are doing quilling oh that's just too desperate it's insane that's just silly that's just weird <laughs> like i'm sorry like that's just that's a lot yeah. um but i guess if look if it passes the time for you and you are really like you know desperate for new activities go for it. It's not hurting anyone. So 
No, and I'm going to try quilling myself because they look so pretty. Do they? Oh, they look so pretty. All right. Oh, yeah. We'll we'll have to post Amy's uh, quilling (laughs) results. I think I'm going to buy this for a present for my grandchildren. I mean, they're parents might kill me but <laughs> if they have a yard it's really fun yeah, and like they the, do comes with the gloves like it really doesn't make as much of a mess when it's in the squeeze bottles and all these like it's that's why i love this kit it's all done like they're not going to be getting dye everywhere and right um and it's who doesn't have gloves in their house now anyway so if you need more pairs of gloves and what it comes <laughs> with your use those gloves um anyway those are our bites for today you could find everything we talked about today at parentingbites.com also on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash parentingbites, where you will find links to the episode. You can also leave us comments, ideas, feedback. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share our podcast from whatever app you do that from. And until next week, stay safe and happy parenting. Happy parenting. Hey, this is our Parenting Bites disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we've recommended, it's at your own risk.